the sooner you get a repayment plan put together, the sooner I think you'll have peace of mind because it's not such a like unknown thing out there. to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in D.C. And I'm Willie Bidot, a lab animal specialist in California. Hey, y'all. Mark your calendars for Veterinary Financial Summit, which will be held virtually October 22nd and 23rd of 2022. Go to vetfinancialsummit.com to learn more about it. Our guest today is Megan Landris. Megan is a student loan consultant for a student loan planner, a financial coach, and a certified student loan professional. Megan, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you guys for having me on. And I look forward to chatting with y'all about all things student loans today. (laughs) Looking forward to it. So first of all, can you break down for us what a student loan counsel with you entails? Yeah. Consultations with us at Student Loan Planner. It's a one-hour call over Zoom. And beforehand, we ask for some information so we could do some number crunching in advance on what is going to be the most optimal path to tackle the loans in. You know, should we be going towards forgiveness or should we be refinancing? And then during that call, we're able to walk through all the different repayment options we have available to us, hone in on what the most optimal plan would be for you, and then talk through how to implement that plan. And then the consultation comes with six months of email follow-up if you had any follow-up questions afterwards. Okay, awesome. And so what is the profile of vets who come to Student Loan Planner for a consultation? What's the average debt that vets typically have? And what thoughts and emotions do they bring to the table about their debt? Typically, our average with the vets we work with is about 282000 of federal student loan debt. Usually, it is federal student loan debt because that's the most accessible to borrow during vet school. Typically, and I think this is like with anybody, but there's some stress about the loan situation, a little bit of anxiety, you know, just not knowing how to handle the loan situation. Some folks, though, are pretty educated on how income-driven plans have forgiveness options, how maybe public service loan forgiveness could work for them if they're working in that capacity. So some folks have an idea of of what they're maybe looking at pursuing, but it's just getting that confirmation and feeling comfortable and confident about the plan and knowing how it pivots as life goes on, because life is not a straight line. (laughs) So that's typically the vet I would run into with Student Loan Planner. Yeah, so there has been some changes to student loan. And what has happened since COVID started for student loans? Yeah, yeah. So goodness, man, COVID hit us like a storm in 2020. So right off the bat, payments and interest were frozen for federal student loans back in March of 2020. And since then, that has continuously been extended and we are, we're still in that environment right now. And so it's about two years. We're recording this in March of 2022, about two years of this environment where 0% interest for federal loans, no payments. And there's been a number of other changes. Public service loan forgiveness recently had a big executive order announced called the limited time PSLF waiver back in October. And that's relevant to folks who have been in public service historically. We can maybe talk a little bit about those nuances if, if y'all would like to. 
but those are been the biggest changes. And now we're sitting, waiting to see if they're planning on postponing payments again. There's been some whispers that that might be happening, but things are supposed to resume May 1st. And we'll see if that happens. But right now that's to be determined. But the payments also count because you say no payments, zero interest, but the payments do count for those of us. I'm in PSLF and for those in income-driven repayment, right? They do. Yeah, that was a really positive part to the forbearance is that all of these months are going to count towards someone's forgiveness timelines. For income-driven, they count towards that longer-term forgiveness, like 20 or 25-year timeline. For public service loan forgiveness, they will count as long as you're still working full-time in a public service capacity. And that's really great because it's not throwing off anybody's you know, timeline to forgiveness overall. So whether the payments are starting again in May or June or whether it's later on, what do vets need to keep in mind as student loan payments start up again? Mm-hmm. If we're someone who's pursuing forgiveness, we continue to not make payments. There's no extra credit for doing so, and we'll continue to reap the benefit of that free credit towards our timeline, so there's not a need to do anything there. If we're someone who's going to be paying the loans off, so forgiveness is not an option or that's not the route we're pursuing, then this could be a good opportunity to be putting money towards the loans. If they're still at 0%, that means any payment that you're making now will go a little bit further than it would if we had interest in the mix. And it's also another opportunity to to look at other things, financially speaking, and decide if we need to be prioritizing our dollars towards other higher interest debt or building emergency savings. And then if, if we can get ahead with our student loan repayment, great. But I think some of those other financial planning goals need to be looked at too, which could be a a good opportunity to do so if they extend again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing would be if they're on an income-driven repayment plan and they're not on public service loan forgiveness and they're going with that 20 to 25-year plan, they're not saving up for the tax bill at the end of that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It could be a good chance to kickstart that. (laughs) Yeah. So with that said, so those of us that are in income-driven repayment, and if the government extends, like you mentioned, what should we be doing with our money? It seems like either if you're planning on paying off, actually start putting more money into your loans or start saving, investing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if um, if we're going towards forgiveness, you know, like I mentioned, we wouldn't be paying, but if we're going towards the longer term forgiveness that does carry that tax implication, which that just means when we get a forgiven balance in the future, not PSLF, but long-term forgiveness, then the IRS will see that as taxable to us as income in the year of that forgiveness. So whatever balance is left over and forgiven in the future could be taxable to us as income. So part of the planning should include you know, making your payments, but not having to right now in the COVID forbearance, but also saving for that tax implication. And so this could be a really great opportunity to start setting money aside for that in anticipation of that in the future. And if we're in public service loan forgiveness, what's great is we have no tax bomb. So we don't need to make payments. We don't need to save for that. So we can prioritize our dollars elsewhere. You know, I I would highly suggest, you know, building up emergency savings, paying down other debt, maybe bumping up retirement savings if we have some extra cash flow and maybe we want to start prioritizing, you know, saving for our future. So those are some great ideas to maybe think about and consider when it comes to what could be best for for you specifically. That said, 
for income driven repayment, for some of the payment forms, it's 10% of your income. So in that case, you know, right now, again, zero, everything is in zero. What percentage would you recommend for those of us going for long-term tax bomb implications? Mm-hmm. Percentage to save towards that, you mean? Yes. Yeah. So it's tough because it, it depends on how much that will be, <laughs> which depends on your balance and it depends on your income, uh, the balance at forgiveness, I mean. So I think we do have a free calculator on our website, studentloanplanner.com, that you could use to help project what that tax implication might be. And it helps you break down how much you should be saving per month and investing to grow that to get to the tax bomb savings. So it is specific to each person. I think that that would be the best way to maybe estimate it is, is doing some number crunching and our calculator can make it very easy for you. <laughs> awesome. All right. So speaking of that calculator, so when you meet with a client, how do you determine what's the best route for repayment, whether they should be paying off the student debt in full or whether they should be going for income driven repayment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if public service loan forgiveness is not an option, what we're next looking at is the balance to income ratio. Like where does our balance fall in comparison to our income? If our balance is less than income or about the same as income, then mathematically that tells us we're probably not going to benefit from that income-driven forgiveness route because we'll likely pay it off before we would get to that 20 or 25-year time frame. So we'll run the numbers. We'll make sure that, that that is the case. And we'll talk about any other life circumstances that could change that, like if income were to drop or if we plan on going part-time in the future, or if there is the opportunity for public service loan forgiveness later. So we talk through that. And then if the answer is to pay it off, then we'll talk through the most efficient way to do that and the pros and cons to maybe refinancing, which helps reduce the interest rate. Now, when we work with someone whose balance is greater than income, years ago, our ratio was about one and a half times our income. More recently, we're getting closer to 1.25 times income, maybe one times income, depending on someone's life situation and how long they already have going towards income-driven forgiveness. So typically, though, if our balance is greater than income, then the longer-term forgiveness route could make a lot of sense, even with the tax implication being included. And so we run the numbers, we take a look at it together, and then we also talk about lifestyle questions or, or just financial goals that we have in the mix. Some folks, you know, even if it is about the same, like comparing forgiveness to paying it off aggressively, looking at those two trajectories, if it's about the same, then it comes down to what that client or what that person is, is going to value more. Do they want the loans paid off sooner? Does that make them feel better about their debt situation or, or do they prefer to go that route versus income driven? Or is it someone who would like to try to keep their payment as low as possible over time and prioritize other things? And there's no wrong answer to that. I think financial planning is very personal and student loan planning is very personal. So it, I think those are some general rules of thumb. If our balance is much greater than income, forgiveness might mathematically make more sense. If our balance is about the same or less than income, then we're probably going to want to pay it off a little more aggressively, but those are generalities. <laughs> so it, it does just depend. <laughs> yeah. And I have met with several vets that have just been ignoring their loans. So, you know, what benefits do you see for vets who settle in on repayment strategy early in their careers 
versus five or more years out? That's a great question. And I, I feel like that's, you know, one of the things that we stress is that, you know, the sooner you get a repayment plan put together, the sooner I think you'll have peace of mind because it's not such a like unknown thing out there, but also it saves us time. So if, if we're continuously deferring our payments or putting our loans into forbearance, unfortunately, those months aren't going to count towards anything. And interest is just accruing outside of this COVID forbearance. So we lose time. We cost ourselves maybe more money because we're having to spend longer going towards forgiveness or, or paying back what accrued. And, you know, I think it is overwhelming. It can be, but I think the unknown is way more scary than what the actual plan shakes out to be. That's oftentimes the case that I see is, you know, when someone has delayed looking at this, you know, the, the first thing out of their mouth at the end of the consult is, man, I should have done this five years ago. I should have done this 10 years ago. And it's, you know, we can't go back in time, but we can make things right going forward. And the sooner you're able to, to tackle it, I think the better overall. Yeah. Okay. So before we continue nerding out on student loan questions, uh, what got you interested in helping people with their finances and also with their student debt specifically? So in high school, it actually started in high school, kind of. I, I did the books for a gym that I worked at in my hometown, and I liked the numbers. I liked the math, which is weird because I hated math growing up. <laughs> but I liked the, the planning aspect of it too. And so I went to school for finance and I quickly realized I didn't really like corporate finance. I wanted to go into personal finance to, to work with people and help them with their financial goals. And so I started working in a financial planning firm, you know, really learned the nuts and bolts of planning, but I had a heart for wanting to work with folks who weren't there yet. So our firm and a lot of the financial planning industry is asset management. And you have to have assets to manage to work with a lot of financial advisors. And <laughs> I had a lot of friends, I had a lot of you know, colleagues. I was, you know, younger individuals right after school or in the first couple of years of their career, those folks weren't being served by a financial advisor or, or a type of advisor out there. So I started my own practice, financial coach Megan, and I wanted to focus on people who weren't quite there yet, who didn't have assets to manage, but wanted help with budgeting and debt reduction and starting emergency savings and starting to put those good foundational pieces in place. And I quickly realized that I was going to run into student loan debt a lot <laughs> because I was working with folks right after school. So I really got nerdy about it. And I, it actually started, I worked with a, a uh, my first client was a chiropractor and she had over 300,000 of federal student loan debt. And it was really weighing on her and she didn't know how she was going to you know, live. She didn't know how she was going to be able to pay her bills, pay this student loan off. And so I started diving into the details of income driven repayment, thumbing through like the student aid website at that time. And I learned, wow, there's forgiveness opportunities. Let's crunch some numbers to see if she would get there. And she did. And I was starting to think, why would we try to pay this off if she could go towards forgiveness? And so that's when it really started. And then I found there's the certified student loan professional designation that came out around that time. It's still relatively new. And uh, so I got that immediately. And then I started to cater my practice more towards postgrads who had student loan debt and then met Travis with Student Loan Planner and nerded out about student loans. And <laughs> now I consult with his company and helping folks 
you know, I do both now. I do my financial coaching practice and student loan planner. And it, I think scratches both of those itches for me. It helps me have a really high impact or fast and quick impact with a lot of people with their student loans, with student loan planner. And then I have the relationship building and coaching relationship with folks on my um, coaching practice. So that's how I got into it. It started with a chiropractor. So not a vet, but <laughs> it could have been <laughs> balances or it could be similar. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like the way you put that about having the two different roles and having the the coaching role be more of a long-term impact that you have. Like you might not hear the impact that you had for maybe a couple of years, potentially in some situations. And then the student loan consulting, you have definitely made an impact right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's fun to see, like the coaching takes some time, but it's cool to see those big, like mm-hmm. objectives be hit, like buying a house or, you know, paying off credit card debt, things like that. It takes a while to get there, but the student loan planning, it's, if we do this, we know we're going to save X amount <laughs> and it's really fun to have that balance. <laughs> yeah. We, we do get a lot of vets asking for, you know, financial advisors. And frankly, one of the biggest things is your financial advisor better know about student loans. It gets really mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, it, it has become its own little niche in the financial planning world. And so if you're working with a financial advisor or if you're seeking one who's doing everything, you might want to ask the questions about, you know, how familiar are, are you with student loans and the designation you could look for to tell you that they are also designated to help you with student loans is the CSLP or certified student loan professional. And a lot of folks are getting it now. Um, They may not advertise it, but they may be equipped to still help you with student loan repayment. Or if not, oftentimes us at Student Loan Planner will collaborate where we tackle the student loan plan, kind of like your CPA would tackle your taxes and, Mm -hmm. you know, collaborate with your advisor. We do that with student loans too, since it's such a like nuanced piece to the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to make because I think a lot of vets don't realize they they just assume that every financial advisor knows about student debt. And that's absolutely not the case. I'd say there's probably more financial planners and financial advisors out there who don't know enough about student debt, especially the volume of student debt that vets often have. Yeah. So pointing them to Mm -hmm. a specific student loan consultant, I think I'd rather recommend that than, uh, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And in the financial planning space too, the other designation to look for is a CFP Mm -hmm. or certified financial planner. That's one of the highest designations you can get in the financial planning industry. And they have that fiduciary responsibility to you. So if they are a CFP and a CSLP, good, <laughs> that you should be in good hands. <laughs> so for all the vets out there, uh, CFP <laughs> and CSLP. <laughs> yes. Uh, you briefly talked about a consult with you and, you know, why should a vet get a consult versus just plugging their numbers into the VIN Foundation Loan Repayment Simulator, which has been mm-hmm. a great resource for veterinarians. And I have heard that uh, other industries are using it because of that great resource uh, or mm-hmm. the or even the calculator at student loan planner, which is the one I started with. So I think it's one thing to be able to you know plug in your information in a calculator. The next thing is knowing how to interpret it because you have to know which plans am I eligible for? 
How are they impacted by marriage? You know, should I be considering filing taxes separately with my spouse to exclude income? If so, which plan allows me to do that? And there's also a lot of other planning nuances to making sure that we're just saving as much money as we can, which a calculator will help project out what your trajectory could look like. But it's, of course, limited on customizing it specifically to you and knowing, okay, well, maybe we should recalculate your payment now to drop what's going to kick in in May, or maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should let that ride out until we have to update income on our next anniversary. You know, how much should we be saving for the tax implication? Where should we save that? So there's a lot of things that, you know, the calculator can tell you generally, but you can't ask it questions. <laughs> so if you have more specific questions about your situation, then working with a professional on it can help you just have that peace of mind, you know, interpreting what it means to you stress testing different scenarios too. Like if we went one way or another with our career, talking through the pros and cons of all the options. So definitely not needed, just like, you know, it's not necessary to work with a CPA for taxes, but you might because it's easier to delegate and it's talking with an expert in that field specifically. And so it's the same thing with working with us, with student loans. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. So do you make specific recommendations for how to save for the tax bomb or tax implication at the end of income-driven repayment? Or do you point people to, for example, a certified financial planner for that? Both. So we'll talk about generally what you should be doing, which you shouldn't be putting in in savings because it'll not grow for you over time. Mm -hmm. So we talk about, you know, maybe the value of investing that because we might have a long time to get to that tax implication. So 20 years, 20, 25 years is a long time. So we talk about the value of investing and then also talking about getting it diversified. So we typically recommend mutual funds, which do a great job of diversifying your money. And that just means we're not choosing one specific stock or one bond to put the money in. We're putting it into a fund of funds, which diversifies our money. And then, you know, if someone's interested in more specific advice of which fund to invest in, then that's when I think working with a CFP could be very helpful to help navigate, you know, exactly what your investment strategy would be. So that's a little bit about where our planning kind of ends and where it picks up with maybe an investment advisor or a CFP. Okay, that makes sense. So could you tell us a story or give us an example of a veterinarian that you helped recently? Yeah. And I don't know how super relevant this would be to anybody else on the call, but I thought it was a fascinating story. I worked with a vet recently who had moved abroad. She had met someone here in the States when he was here, I think studying as well, and followed him to Ireland. (laughs) And they're now married. They've been there for a few years. They plan on staying there indefinitely, but she had a very large student loan balance here in the States still. So what's interesting is when you move abroad, there is what's called a foreign earned income exclusion that you can take on your federal tax return because you are still a citizen, so you could still file taxes here in the States. But if you're earning income abroad, then you can take advantage of that foreign earned income exclusion, and that's about $112,000 for 2022. It increases each year with inflation. And so abroad, her U.S. income conversion was about 120000 maybe. Based on our planning, she's going to be taking that foreign earned income exclusion on her tax return, which makes her adjusted gross income look like almost nothing. 
And she was concerned because she was having a hard time refinancing her loans. She wasn't going to come back to the States. You know, she wasn't going to do public service loan forgiveness because she's working in, you know, a company abroad and she was trying to refinance and they kept telling her that she wasn't going to be approved because she didn't have any income here and she wasn't living here anymore. And I told her, I was like, well, thankfully you couldn't because we could take advantage of income driven forgiveness take advantage of the foreign earned income exclusion, your income is going to look very low for the next, you know, as long as you're filing taxes and you could just save for the potential tax implication. And it's a very weird incentive (laughs) for folks to move abroad yeah, (laughs) because it's such a discount on like your income for the income driven plan, but it was going to save her hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And I told her it was fate that, you know, she couldn't refinance because once you refinance, you can't turn back, you can't bring them back into the Fed system. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting case. And that tells you kind of the scope of just the, <laughs> the weirdness of student loans and how much stuff we can maybe take advantage of, or some of the unknown facts out there about like how to build in efficiency to your plan. But for her, that was a very efficient way to pay off the loans, which she's not paying them off. She's just going towards forgiveness something that was going to save her a lot of money over time. So I love numbers and hearing you say that story, it's like, okay, so this veterinarian is going to pay $0 for 20 years to her loans, because if, you know, she makes 120 and there's a deduction of 112, I'm not sure if the standard deduction also counts for that person. So overall, that person is going to pay $0 to their student loans Mm -hmm. for 20 years. And then unfortunately, the loan keeps increasing in amount. But at the end of 20 years, let's say that veterinarian will pay 25% as a full amount at the end of those 20 years. Is that that about right? It's about right. Yeah. Her payment was going to be zero because when they calculate the income-driven plan, they also subtract 150% of the poverty line deduction, which is about 20,000 for a person of one. And her spouse's income wasn't going to affect anything because he wasn't a U.S. citizen. On her tax return here, she was going to do married separate. You know, he didn't have a social security number here, so he wasn't going to affect anything. But yeah, so she was going to pay nothing for the next. uh, And actually what we did is we used revised pay as you earn, which that plan is oftentimes not as beneficial because it doesn't allow us to exclude spousal income but there was no way for his income to impact her equation. So usually repay requires the spouse's income to be included, but again, he's not a citizen, so it wasn't going to affect it. But the benefit to repay over pay as you earn, which is the 20 year timeline, is that repay has an interest subsidy, which decreases the accruing interest over time, which would make her future tax bomb less. And the timing didn't matter as much Repay is 25 years, pay is 20 years, where if she just stayed on repay for 25, you know, it doesn't make a huge difference to her because she's not paying. Mm -hmm. She'd have a little bit longer to save too for the tax implication. So in her situation, repay made more sense. And that's what we did to both keep her payment as low as possible, reduce what that tax implication was going to be in the future using the repay subsidy. And all the way around, that was going to be the best way to go about it. But yeah, you had it just about right. (laughs) That was a great story because, you know, overall student loans are complicated. That's what I got. (laughs) 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 Yep. (laughs) So 
with that, you know, what are the most common mistakes veterinarians make with their student loans? I think one common mistake I see is maybe not entertaining the forgiveness route, because I know a lot of people are debt adverse and we've always been taught to pay down debt very aggressively, but we have to think about student loans as just a different beast. They're not a regular debt, so we can't be treating them as a regular debt. And I've gotten on the phone with lots of folks, lots of vets in the past where they were very adamant about not doing the forgiveness route, which is fine. You know, this is personal finance, personal student loan planning. So that's, you know, your decision. But me as the planner, I'm going to show you every option because I want you to make an educated decision, not just a decision on emotion. And looking at the numbers, you could still decide to go the aggressive route, even if it's going to cost you more. But I think it's at least something to entertain. I wouldn't shut off any option in your mind before you have, you have at least seen it play out or, or seen the numbers for it. So just having an open mind, I think that's probably the one thing I would suggest. Other mistakes, there's a few like very simple things that you can do right after graduation that are helpful. After graduation, you'll have a six-month grace period on your loans where you're not required to make payments. This can be a really unique time to either start your forgiveness clock sooner because we can't start our forgiveness clock in the grace period. The only way to do that would be to consolidate our loans right after school. And that's just where we combine the loans into one direct consolidation loan. So that forgoes the grace period and starts our clock maybe five, six months sooner. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, well, I I don't want a payment to kick in sooner. You know, I don't have a job yet or whatever it is. Well, the income-driven application always links back to the most recently filed tax return. And so another tip is to the year before graduating, make sure you file a tax return because you probably didn't make any income. (laughs) And so that first 12 months of payments could literally be zero, which that saves people lots of money in the beginning. And it saves you five to six months of time on forgiveness if we're going that route. So those are two like really quick, easy tips is file a tax return before you graduate and then consolidate right after you graduate and that'll get you going faster and will get you locked in with a lower payment your first year. Yeah, definitely good advice. And so one thing I was wondering is because veterinary salaries have increased quite a bit over the last two years. So we had in some ways kind of a different effect from COVID than other industries. I was wondering whether you're seeing more vets who are able to pay off their student debt in full or if it's something where you're not necessarily seeing that yet because there may be a population of people who are not meeting with you yet because the payments haven't started up again. Yeah, I think it's part of the the latter. I think when it's a clear-cut decision where like your balance is definitely lower than your income, you know, we usually don't see a lot of those consultations. Like we don't work with a lot of those folks because that's usually a pretty clear cut and dry case. Mm-hmm. And I think people understand that or they, they can quickly understand that by looking at their situation. So it could be a combination of us just not seeing them because of that, because now their income situation is very different. There's not really much deciding to do between the different repayment options in their mind, maybe. But also I think there is a lag of just us not seeing a lot of different people because of this COVID forbearance in general. Mm-hmm. We've been very busy, surprisingly, with payments being frozen for two years. We have consistently been busy, <laughs> but 
I think we'll start to see more folks as payments for sure are kicking in. I think naturally, you know, people kind of kick the can down the road before, you know, taking any steps with their student loans because we don't have to right now. But once we start getting those payment notices, I think we're going to see a big surge of consults because either that's a reminder that they need to review it or the payment is way too high compared to what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'll start to see more folks and we'll probably start to see that relationship where maybe we do see that trend a little more clear in the next few years, but we haven't totally seen that yet. But that's not surprising to me just with the nature of where we're at. Mm-hmm. So you kind of went over what a grad or a person that's about to graduate should be thinking about, but any other tips for the 2022 graduating class, whatever they should know about student loans? Yeah, I think those two tips I mentioned about filing taxes before graduation and consolidating post-graduation. I think some other tips would be, um, and I always like to say this on my consultations too, like if you're recently graduated and you have your salary you're starting your career, like this is a great time to rip the bandaid off for retirement savings as well, (laughs) which it's confusing because we've just graduated. I don't want to think about retirement yet. That's maybe what people are thinking, but this is a really great opportunity to hide that money from yourself (laughs) before you get used to spending it. Mm -hmm. And you don't know the difference yet. You know, you've been used to living off of almost nothing for a while. So any increase to your income is going to be great. So I always recommend, you know, jump in with starting retirement savings. You know, a very easy decision would be at least get up to the match, which means whatever your employer will give you if you contribute. Sometimes that's like three or five percent. It is employer dependent, but rip that bandaid off. Go ahead and jump into it. Get your free money with the employer match. And if you're able to do more, great. I mean, Compound interest is very powerful and you have the benefit of time on your side to let that grow over time. And it would be much harder to add savings into your budget later. Again, once you've already gotten used to spending that money. So that would be one other tip I would suggest. (laughs) Yeah. And when you say the match, you mean, you know, for those of us in clinics, that will be a 401k. For those of us in nonprofit will be a 403b usually account with your employer. Right. Yep. Something with the four is usually what it is. If you're with the federal government, it'll be a TSP, but those are some of the retirement account titles. (laughs) And another thing I want you to clarify, because we see this quite a bit is you talk about consolidation, you know, right at graduation, but a lot of people also confuse that with refinancing and that is very different. Yes. Refinancing and consolidation, when I use the term, means something very different. Refinancing would be taking the loans to a private company. So totally leaving the federal system, going to a private company. And the benefit to doing that is if someone is paying the loans off, the benefit to doing that is reducing the interest rate because we can't do that in the Fed system. Consolidation is simply combining the loans within the federal system, but those words get used interchangeably all the time. So I I could understand how that's sometimes confusing, but when I say consolidate after graduation, I mean, keep them federal as long as we know that, you know, we're going that path. And because once we refinance, we can't turn back and turn them federal. Yeah, definitely an important distinction and definitely something that I see folks confuse all the time. So definitely important to know the difference between consolidation and refinancing. 
any advice for couples where both of them are veterinarians? Yeah, we do work with a lot of couples that either are in the same profession or at least both have federal student loan debt. If that's the case, if both spouses have student loan debt, you could consider a married separate status for excluding spousal income, but it may not be as necessary in those situations because the federal system takes into account your spouse's balance as well when it dictates what your payment is going to be off of joint income. So you may not need to file separate to have a payment proportionate to your balance. There are certain circumstances where we consider it that would be way too nuanced to get into, <laughs> but and it's not applicable for a lot of people. But if one spouse is the one who carries the student loan debt, you know, maybe the other was, was lucky and had a full ride or had rich parents, whatever it is, <laughs> it, that doesn't have to affect the borrower's payment. We can consider a married filing separate status to exclude spousal income, depending on our plan and if it makes sense from a tax perspective. And what's important to know there is we have to make sure that the benefit of filing separately and how much it saves us with our payments outweighs the costs of us filing separately. Because mm -hmm. most folks, most married folks file jointly because it makes the most financial or tax sense, I guess you could say. But there is a crossover point we can find to figure out how much should we be looking for. Like if filing separately only costs us X amount, then that's okay because we're going to make that and some with the savings in our payment if we decided to go that route. So those are a couple of different ways to think about if both spouses have loans or if only one spouse has loans. Yeah, yeah, definitely more nuanced and, and definitely a time to get some advice, uh, I think, when, <laughs> when it's two, two vets who are a couple and, and have a ton of debt. So mm -hmm. Megan, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but do you see the government bringing any changes to student loan repayment in the future? I would say generally, yes. I think we've seen a lot of changes already, more specifically with public service loan forgiveness. And there's been a couple other things over the, the past two years that have happened. But I think generally the consensus is things need to improve with the student loan system and with, you know, maybe higher ed in general. I think we'll see some changes. One change that we're anticipating or we think could be probable is that tax implication potentially being discharged in the future or, or non-existent. It already does not exist until 2026 because of some language in one of the recent acts over COVID. But we're curious to see if that's going to stick, if that's going to stay tax-free for those going towards long-term forgiveness. That could be the most probable. But, you know, could other things come about? Could there be widespread forgiveness? That, we're not sure. There's a lot of talk, and it seems like there's not a lot of action right now. Not to say that nothing will happen in the future. It's just, it's moving very slow. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. But I do think positive things are to come. We just don't know what those things are going to be yet. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. It's been even complicated with those two years of, they call it forbearance or pause or, or whatever they want to call it, but I benefited from it, so I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so for those of our colleagues that you know want coaching or want to consult, what is the best way to connect with you? Yeah, so definitely visit our website at studentloanplanner.com. You could schedule a, a consultation with us through our calendar there. If you wanted to reach out to me directly for coaching, maybe, 
I'm at financialcoachmegan.com. And I also can help distinguish if maybe you're better for just student loan planning, or if we should maybe consider a coaching relationship, if, if it's what you're looking for. So studentloanplanner.com, that's also all of our handles for like uh, social media and YouTube, and then Financial Coach Megan for myself. All right, awesome. And that brings us to our last question. Megan, what is your best advice for our listeners? I think my best advice overall is have a plan. And I think that's a plan for anything, a plan for student loans, a plan for your finances. I think having a plan just helps you focus on other things versus stressing about what we didn't plan for, you know? (laughs) So that helps you focus in your practice and focus on other things that you love. So that would be my big advice there. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation, Megan. Lots of good takeaways here. Lots of great advice couple of things that strike me about this, uh, definitely just don't delay as far as dealing with your student debt. Go ahead and address it so that you can figure out what is the best repayment strategy for you. And it also will help you go ahead and move on to other financial goals like retirement savings and knowing whether you need to save for that tax implication at the end. Yes, Megan, thank you so much. Clearly, student loans are pretty complicated. So for those of us that are ignoring them or just don't understand them, get a consult. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me today. And I hope you listening can take at least one thing from this conversation and apply it to your situation. But I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, hit the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.